it is my absolute privilege to be able to come and just share with you guys this morning. Uh, for those of you who keep up with all the churches in the area, we've had some exciting things happening as a church lately. For the very first time, we now own our own land. And uh, after 20 odd years, closer to 30, we no longer need to bump in and bump out every morning, which our teams are fantastically excited about. We've been seeing God do some amazing things lately. But one of the reasons I'm excited to be here today is I honestly believe that where we are today has been so heavily influenced by who you are as a church. You see, for those of you who don't know, my parents, Howard and Sandy, they started here in this church when they first moved to Queensland. And so it was out of this church that they launched out and took a giant step of faith and launched what is now My City Church. You see, they came out of this church, and so a lot of who we are as a church has been modelled and shaped by who you were as a church back then. I still have a photo of me as a small child being dedicated by Ian and Ruth Jack, because you see, we walked closely with who they were, and they were the previous pastors of this church. Our family's very first wedding that we got to celebrate, it was right here in this building when my eldest sister got married. You see, even my husband, Anthony, he grew up in this church, and it was in this building, walking through those doors, that I met him, and it was in these night services that we began to fall in love. You see, most couples have stories of how they went out on dates and went out to the movies. We went to church on a Sunday night together, and uh, slowly our seats got closer and closer together. You see, even when I went to go get my pastor's credential, it was Pastor James and Michelle that interviewed me for my credential, and you can deem whether you felt like they were right in giving it to me or not. And today even, Pastor James leads the ACC region here. And so who you are as a church has heavily influenced and shaped where we are today. And I want to encourage you this morning that your reach and your influence at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone farther than you think it has. It's gone farther than these four walls and who you see around you today, but there's testimonies of your faithfulness to share the gospel of Jesus right across our community and right across our city. And I think that's something we're celebrating today. But who knows that even though you might be part of an extremely effective church in sharing the good news, that that doesn't ever count us out from sharing the good news ourselves. You see, the call is not just for the church to share the good news, but the call is upon each and every single one of us to be carriers of the good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're not a preacher. It doesn't matter if you're not charismatic. It doesn't matter if you're not outgoing. Every single one of us have been called and commissioned and set apart by God to be carriers of the good news of Jesus. That would be really easy to do if all it took was to get somebody to know Jesus, was to go along to them and say, hey, Mother's Day is coming up and I was wondering if you would like to come with me. You see, because if people would just accept our invitations to come to church, it's so simple. They come and they're surrounded by a body of believers and so there's an atmosphere of faith there already. The presence of God is there. And they get to hear us sing worship songs declaring the goodness of God. They get opportunities to be prayed for and they even have an opportunity to hear the Word of God spoken. And then right at the end, generally, there is this beautiful opportunity for them, if they so wish, to make a decision to give their life to Jesus. Wouldn't it be easy if everyone just said yes when we invited them to church and just came along? Our job would be so incredibly easy. The challenging part is not everyone is ready to come to church. In fact, most people aren't. 
This is not just that our society has gone downhill and walked further and further away from God. This is just a people issue. This issue was around when Jesus was here on earth. You see, that's why Jesus taught in the temple and then he went out into his city and he went out into the streets and he went out and sought those who were lost. That's why Jesus, when he called the disciples, he didn't tell them just to wait around at the temple, but he sent them out two by two. And that's why each and every single one of us are also called to go out into our city. That's when it starts to get just a little bit harder, right? You see, because when I'm here in church and my friend comes along, might be a little bit awkward, but it's actually expected and normal for us to worship God here. It's expected and normal for us to pray. It's expected and normal for us to read from the Bible and it's expected and normal for us to worship God. And for our friends, when they come, they're the old ones out. But when we have to go out there, out into our workplaces, out into our homes, out into our schools and out into our families even, for us to begin to talk about God and for us to begin to pray for people and for us to begin to share the word of God, we begin to look like the old ones out and we begin to stand out from the crowd. And who knows that as people, we don't generally like standing out from the crowd too much. I remember when uh, my eldest daughter, we have got three girls and uh, two of them are in school currently. And when the first one was in prep, she was really excited because the day came for her to have free dress day. It was an exciting day for her. And so I remember her picking out her clothes and her shoes and picking her best clothes out of her wardrobe. And I popped her on the school bus that day with a big smile on her face and waved her goodbye. That afternoon, they had a school performance happening. And so I drove in there late in the afternoon, right before school finished. And uh, I walked in a little bit late. And so I was scanning the room to see if I could find her because who knows, at that age, they all look the same. And uh, so I'm looking around and I realize that they're already on stage. And I realize that I was going to be very easy to find her. Because as I scanned across the stage of children, there was a sea of these beautiful smiling faces. And there was a sea of children all wearing their black and red uniforms, all except for one. One child who was not smiling at me. And one child who was not wearing the school uniform. And because uh, you see, I'd sent her to school on the wrong day for free dress. And she had some choice words to say to me that afternoon when she got home and told me how uncomfortable and nervous she felt all day when everyone kept looking at her because she looked incredibly different. You see, we don't like to stand out. It makes us feel uncomfortable and it even makes us feel nervous. The palms get sweaty and we get a little bit shaky and our voice goes a little bit quavery. And you, you know when you're nervous, it's so much harder to communicate. When uh, we were kids and I would get in trouble, my mum always did one thing. No matter what you'd done, no matter whose fault it was, she would always send you to your room. And she would send you there for about 10 minutes. And then after that, she would come and talk to you. And uh, that is when you would find out what your punishment was going to be if it was so fitting. And so I realize now as a parent, that's probably the smartest parenting move she ever made. But as a child, I greatly appreciated it because it meant I had 10 minutes to get my story straight. 10 minutes to concoct a reason as to why I was justified in punching my brother in the arm. And so I would use those 10 minutes well. I would think through all the stories I could tell and how I could explain to her clearly that 
he was actually the one in the wrong when I punched him and that I was just helping the situation and I was completely defenseless and poor and innocent in this situation. And so I'd get my story straight and I'd think it through clearly, all until I heard that noise. You see, we have a double-story house with wood floors. And so anytime somebody walks in it, you can hear them so clearly. And so I would hear as soon as my mom started walking down the hallway and you'd hear the creaking coming down the hall. And as soon as I heard that begin, my hands would begin to shake. You know, I'm getting nervous. She's coming closer. And then as the footsteps got even closer, my palms would begin to sweat. And then as she got even closer, just a meter away, it's like this lump would begin to rise in my throat until she opened the door. And just as I'm about to launch out with my explanation as to why I should have punched my brother, all that came out of my mouth is just sobbing tears because I'm so overcome with nerves that I can't think what to say anymore because it's incredibly hard to communicate effectively when we're nervous, right? I don't know if anyone else ever has those troubles before. And so that can happen to me. I don't know about you. Maybe you're great at it when it comes to sharing the good news. You see, when I'm here in church and I'm surrounded by a body of believers and I'm filled with faith and I'm filled with courage, in my mind, I am the best evangelist in the world. I've got all the best explanations and I know what Bible verses to share and I know what to say to my friends and I'm like, I can't wait to get out there next week and begin to share the good news of Jesus. And then I get out there and I realize in that moment, how odd it's about to sound. And I realize in that moment how unusual it might be to others and I begin to get nervous and now I can't even think how to start the conversation. And now I can't think what to say and now I'm not sure whether it's a psalm or a saying of Yoda that I've got in my mind and I'm just not sure where to start and I'm just not sure what to do. And so often what we can do in those situations is put sharing the good news into the too hard basket. We'll leave that to somebody else who's a little bit more outgoing. We'll leave that to somebody who's well-spoken. We'll leave that to somebody who's a little bit charismatic. We'll leave that to Pastor Malcolm. But I want to share with you this morning, church, that there's an incredibly easy way to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's something that you and I and every single one of us can easily do? Is that something you're interested in today? And so I want to jump into the Bible because I find that's a great place to start. And so I want to read to you a story of a woman. And uh, let me just summarize it just for a moment before we jump into the Bible. This woman doesn't have a name in the Bible. They simply call her the Samaritan woman. And uh, many of you will know her story. But one day Jesus was traveling and it says he got weary one day. And so he came to a well and he sat down. And a lady comes along, this woman, this Samaritan woman, and she begins to draw her own water from the well. Jesus looks at her and says, may I please have a drink of your water? The woman is shocked that Jesus talks to her because you see, in those days, Jews would never speak to Samaritans. And even more so, a man would never speak to a woman in public like that. And she says, sir, why are you even talking to me? You know, you shouldn't be doing that. Like she was shocked that he would approach her. And Jesus sees his opportunity. And he says, ma'am, if you just knew what I had to offer you, who I was, then you would ask me to give you a drink of living water. This just goes over the lady's head. She has no realization yet that Jesus is trying to share the good news with her. And so she looks at him and says, you don't even have a bucket or a well. How are you going to do that? 
And Jesus goes on to say that the water that he wants to give her is living water. And it's going to bubble up like a spring of life in her. And it's going to produce eternal life so much so that she will never be thirsty again. He's laying the gospel out to her. This goes over her head again. And she's like, yes, I would love some of that water so I never have to come and draw water from the well again. But Jesus, I love it. He just keeps going. He says, okay, go and get your husband. And it's in that moment the lady looks a little bit sheepish. And it's in that moment Jesus has a word of knowledge about her life. And she says, so I I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're currently living with is not your husband at all. And this woman is shocked and amazed in that moment. And she says, sir, you must surely be a prophet. And so Jesus begins to explain the gospel to her in more detail. And he reveals to her who he is. He says that he's the Messiah. And they begin to have this conversation and she gets excited. And then this is where we pick up in the story. In the book of John, chapter 4, verse 28 to 30, it says this. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And so all these people from her village come out and Jesus continues to share the good news with them. He continues to explain the gospel to them. And then it goes on a little bit further, starting in verse 39 and says this, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. I love this story because here we have a woman who has only known Jesus for a few minutes, not a few days, not a few years, not a few months, a few minutes. A woman who has lived a not so good life. According to those times, the way that she had been living her life was quite atrocious, actually, and something to be looked down on. She had not lived a holy life or righteous life. We have a woman here who has no training or understanding about the Word of God, no understanding of what it looks like to follow Jesus, no understanding of how she should live her life yet. But yet we see as a result of her, many, many people across her town were saved, and she didn't do it by preaching an articulate message. She didn't do it by debating with all the people in her town square as to why Jesus was the Messiah. And she didn't do it by answering all those really scary, hard questions that as believers we're afraid our friends will ask. But she did it by simply sharing her story. Not an elaborated story, not an amazing story, but a simple story that he told me everything I'd ever done. And because she was willing to share her story, it caused many people across her village to come out and have a look for themselves to see if this man who was, she said he was. And as a result, many, many people were saved because one woman was willing to share her story of what Jesus had done for her. I want to tell you this morning, church, that your story, your testimony, those times Jesus has been real to you are one of the most powerful resources He has given you in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. There's another story I love in the Bible. This man has no name either. 
they simply call him demoniac. Because you see, from a, a young age, this man had not just been influenced by the enemy, but his life had become completely possessed by demons. So much so that his whole life was tormented and destroyed and overtaken to the point where he was causing so much trouble that the people of his town came and tried to chain him up so that he wouldn't harm himself or he wouldn't harm anyone else. But the Bible tells us that the demons in him were so incredibly strong that he would literally just break any of the chains that they would use to chain him up with. And so no one could do anything about him. And so what they would do is they would just hear him at night, screaming as he roamed through the graveyard, screaming as he cut himself, screaming because of the torment that was in his life. Until one day Jesus came along and this man met with Jesus and had these demons had even a discussion with Jesus and Jesus spoke over this man's life. And if you go and read the story yourself, you'll see that every single one of the demons left him in that moment. And instead, we see a man that was fully set free and healed and restored back to his sound mind. Some people were watching on from his village. And you'd think they'd be amazed to see a miracle like that. But instead, they weren't. And this is where we pick up his story in the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 37. It says this, And all the people in the region of Jerusalem begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left. Crossing back to the other side of the lake, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. I love this story because you see Jesus does this amazing miracle, but they are so overcome with fear. They're unsure of what to believe about Jesus, that they weren't yet ready for Jesus to come and share the good news with them. So Jesus Christ chose a man, a man who had only known him for a few moments, a man who had lived an incredibly bad past, and a man who had no understanding or training yet about what it looked like to share the good news of how to communicate the gospel, of how to even live his own life right yet. This is the man that Jesus called. And Jesus called him to go back to his town, to go back to his city, and he didn't ask him to go and preach an eloquent message. He didn't ask him to go and debate on Facebook why Jesus Christ is real, and he didn't ask him to go and answer all the hardest questions. What he asked him to do was to simply share his story of what Jesus had done for him so that others in his city might hear it and begin to ask the question, is this guy who they say he is so they might come looking for Jesus? Every single one of us are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you this morning, church, that you don't need to be a preacher. You don't need to be great at remembering the facts. You don't need to be able to debate. You don't need to be able to answer all the hardest questions. You don't need to wait until you've known Jesus for longer. You don't need to wait until you've got your life all together and everything's going fantastic. You don't need to wait until you're mature. You don't need to wait until you've been deemed ready to share the good news. Right now, as you are, you can share the good news of Jesus Christ. And what you can use is your testimony of what Jesus has done for you. Sharing your testimony is one of the most powerful things you and I can do in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my question this morning is this. 
what is your story? What is it that Jesus has done for you? I find that so often I have these prayers that I I pray to God. These times when I need a miracle. These times when I need breakthrough. And these times when God has been incredibly real. But if I was to be honest, so often it's like God answers that prayer. I'm like, thank you. And then I walk on to the next need. I'm like, now, God, I need your help with this situation. Then he answers it and I walk on to the next need. I'm like, now, God, I need your help with this situation. And what I do is I so quickly forget where I have been. And I forget what God has done. A few years ago, I remember having a discussion with one of my kids as they were getting ready for school. And uh, I hear this is an issue that many parents have, but I have one child that uh, really struggles to get ready in the morning. And uh, so much so that, you know, you'll tell her to do something, go get dressed, and then you'll turn up 15 minutes later and she's playing with the dog. I'm like, I thought I told you to get dressed. And she's like, I forgot. And uh, that's pretty much the excuse you will always hear is, I forgot. Why haven't you brushed your teeth? I forgot. Why are you watching TV? I forgot. You know, and she forgets a lot to get ready in the morning. And so I sat her down and we had a little bit of a chat. A chat about, you know, what it means to, you know, be responsible and how we need to actually make an effort to remember the important things. Now, it wasn't my job to remember everything for her pretty much. And uh, so we had this chat and I sent her off to school. And then that day I went to work and I got busy. And uh, the day went like that until I received a phone call that afternoon. And I answered the phone and uh, they said, hello, this is a bus driver. And uh, in that moment, I realized what has happened. I've forgotten to pick my child up from the bus stop. And uh, they are waiting at the bus stop and I'm a good like five to seven minutes away. And so they waited there the entire time while I drove from work and while I came and parked. And uh, my daughter climbed out of the bus and said, you forgot me. And, uh, you know, in that moment, I had to explain to her that I too struggle with forgetting things sometimes as well. You see, it's so easy to forget things in life. And I find that one of the biggest things I forget are my testimonies of what God has done for me. And so I've just started something really simple over the last year, is I write down the testimonies of what God has done. I call it my book of miracles. And I write down the times that God has been faithful and answered my prayers. The times when he has been so incredibly real to me. And so if you don't mind, I wanted to read you just a couple of mine to give you an idea of the kind of things I put in my book of miracles. My first one is this. This was from a few years ago. Last night, our housemate lost her car keys. She was pretty upset as she needed them early in the morning to get to work. So we prayed with her that God would show us where they were. After praying, we still had no idea where the keys were. So she went to bed, unsure of what to do in the morning. During that night, I had a dream. A dream that my child had put her car keys in a bowl of toy food, of all things. So in the morning, I remembered the dream. I thought perhaps I should just go and have a look in the toy kitchen. Sitting right there on top of the toy kitchen were her car keys. I love that my God answers our prayers. My second one is this. This is also from a few years ago. Rent was pretty high in town, and we were on a low single income. Working as youth pastors, and we had just had our second baby. The only house we could afford was literally the cheapest house available. It was small, squishy, hot, and on a noisy main road. Every morning, the kids would be woken up at 4 a.m. by the traffic on the road. Needless to say, we did not like living there. 
One day I was feeling pretty sorry for myself and complaining to God that it was so unfair that we were doing our best to serve him, but yet we couldn't even afford to get into a better house. It felt unfair that we had to watch on while our friends bought their own houses, but yet we could only just afford to rent the cheapest place in town. I finished my whinging and then told God that I was thankful, but that he always had what we needed, even if it wasn't what I wanted. The next day, our friends invited us out for dinner. We went along, and that night, out of the blue, they offered their house to us to rent. It was a large new house, only a few years old, in a quiet street. I would never, ever have dreamed of being able to rent there and knew we wouldn't be able to afford it. But before we could explain this, they went on to say that someone else, in fact, two other people, had come to them and offered to pay for part of their rent. So in the end, we'll be able to rent it for the same price as the cheapest house in town that we were currently in. My God is so good. I love that he cares about me and always shows me his love. This is my next one. This was just recently. Mum received a phone call recently from a relative who explained that her daughter was finally pregnant after being unable to conceive for a while. But they had just received the sad news during their routine scan that the baby had a condition which caused bands to grow around the developing baby. Those bands would then stop the growth of the baby in those areas, which was obviously no good and could even end the baby's life. This family did not believe in God, but mum told her that we do, so we would be praying. Mum asked me and some other ladies from church to pray for the baby, so we did. A few weeks passed by and mum received another phone call from our relative. She called to say that she had gone to have a second scan with a specialist. And at the scan, they were told that the specialist could see no signs at all of this condition. I love that my God answers our prayers. These are just some of my miracles that I have written in there. And I find it exciting when I read them because it reminds me that God is faithful. But the main reason I write them down is so that I remember. I remember the times that God has been real. I remember the times that God has been faithful. I remember the times when I've seen God move so that next time when I'm talking to my friends and they tell me how they've been diagnosed with a sickness, I can share my story of when we prayed for my family member and we saw them completely healed. So that the next time I'm talking to a friend and they are stressed and overcome with anxiety about their finance, I can share with them that God has always provided my needs and He wants to provide for theirs as well. So that the next time I talk to a friend and, and they're wondering if God even sees them, I can share my testimony of how God sees me enough to even show me where a pair of keys were, something so incredibly unimportant. And I don't even write down just my own testimonies. I told my church, I'm stealing their testimonies as well. And so when they tell me their testimonies, I write them in there as well because they might have a story that I don't yet have, but I can share their story of what God has done for them. Next time I'm talking to somebody in their situation, I want to encourage you, church. Your testimony is incredibly, incredibly powerful at sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to invite the music team back up as we get ready to close. This room is full of stories, full of testimonies of the faithfulness of God, full of stories of times when God has been so incredibly personal and so incredibly real to you. It's full of stories of healing and of miracles and of provision and abundance it's full of stories of peace in the midst of storms and, and love when people are feeling unloved. 
And these stories are impacting to us. But if we would just be willing to step out in faith and begin to open our mouth and not present a message, not debate with somebody why they should believe in Jesus and not even attempt to pretend that we know all the hardest answers, but to simply share, this is what Jesus did for me when I was in that situation. This is why I put my faith in Jesus and this is what you can do. If we would just be willing to open our mouth It can cause others around us to say, hey, maybe, just maybe, I want to come and see what this Jesus Christ is all about. I think so often we feel for it to be a successful attempt at sharing the good news, it means that somebody has to make a decision right there in that spot to give their life to Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit, slain, and, you know, speaking in tongues and praying for other people. And that happens sometimes. But it usually doesn't like that. You see, we're all on a journey. And some be, we start at zero and maybe making a decision for Jesus is 10 over here. But God walks with us through that journey. And your story might be the very thing that causes them to take their next step closer to Jesus. I want to encourage you, church. Open up your mouth and begin to declare the good things that Jesus has done for you. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray in just a moment. I think one of the biggest reasons our testimonies are so powerful is one of the biggest lies we've been told by the enemy is that God is interested in religion, that God is looking for behavior modification and God is looking for people just to tick the right boxes. But every time we share our testimony of how Jesus has been real, To me, it declares loud and clear that Jesus Christ came to have relationship with you and I, that Jesus Christ came to be real in your life and in my life, that Jesus is not looking for religion, but He's looking for people that would simply follow after Him. And every time we share our story, we declare that loud and clear, that Jesus Christ loves you and cares for you and wants to know you by name. And so I want to pray for us this morning that we would have opportunities this week, if you would be willing to pray that in your life, to share your story. But I also want to give people an opportunity first. If you're here, and maybe you're just somebody, like some of these people in the story, that has just been looking to see who this Jesus is, I want to let you know today that Jesus wants to know you personally, that He doesn't want religion, but He wants a relationship with you that He wants to be so real in your life that you can write your own book of miracles about the things that God has done for you. And so I want to invite you guys just to shut your eyes across this room as we pray. And before we do, if you're here and you're somebody who doesn't yet have your own relationship with Jesus Christ, but you want to, I want to let you know that today is your day that Jesus wants to meet with you. You might have needs in your life right now, and you might be unsure of what it looks like, but I want to let you know that today, wherever you are at, Jesus Christ wants to start a relationship with you, not some boring religion, but a real and a dynamic and a powerful relationship with you. And if you're here and you'd say, Jesus, that's what I want too. I want to invite you with everyone's eyes shut just to raise your hand and we're going to pray together. If you're here and you just say, Jesus, today, I want to start a relationship with you. 
Awesome. Is there anyone else here today that would say, Jesus, that is me. Let's pray together, church. God, I thank you for that decision today. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would come and be so incredibly real in their life. Lord, I pray that they would know you intimately and personally, Lord God. Lord, I pray that they would feel your presence and uh, that they would sense you with them everywhere they go, Lord, and that you would just keep guiding them every step of the way. Lord, I lift up this church to you and I pray for boldness and courage to be your witnesses, God. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of their testimonies, of their stories. Lord God, I pray for divine opportunities this week, Lord, to share with others the good things that you have done for them, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that across this church, Lord, we would see many, many people saved as they go out to where people are, Lord, sharing the good things that you have done. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love you, I love you, Lord Oh, your mercy never fails me all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God Cause all my life you have been So, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God On your goodness Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after It's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. What a great message, simple message of how simple it is. I was uh, 
watching a game of footy with a mate yesterday and we were commenting on about how a champion team will beat a team of champions. And in a champion team, the champions involve the other players. There's a terminology in AFL called goal assists. And the team I barrack for, their full forward, whose job it is to kick goals, has way more goal assists than he does goals because he's in a team. And it's the same thing where, just as said, that we might share our story or something and they, the person doesn't become a Christian. But I remember, I think it was Shane Willard said, as long as their shoulders are facing in the right direction, we're a part of the, the process. Who's, that, who's ever done it or had friends or you've heard that, you know, I was witnessing, I was sharing my story with that person for months. I go away for the weekend and my mate comes in and leads into Jesus, into a relationship with Jesus. See, that's a, that's a champion team. And that's what we are. We're a champion team where we assist each other for the goal of getting people into the kingdom of God. Amen. Once again, thanks, Jess. That was a great word. We thank you, encouragement for us, and a bit of a challenge too. <laughs> so um, enjoy your day. Hang around for a while. You've got half an hour before we kick out. So uh, that'll be good. If you see someone you don't know, well, why not get to know them, hey? We are a family. Thank you.